there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Connie and I were driving here and she just got back from Las Vegas where she did a show. That doesn't mean she was pole dancing. She left her go-go boots at home. It means she did this other art show, teaching painting classes and she's a booth where she sells her packets and things. So she did this show and she came back and she said, well, she talked to one of the other exhibitors and how was it? Because that's what they talk about. They go to these shows, they talk about business because that's what they're there for. They're there to make money. So they talk about how they're making money, how many people are coming through, how much money they're spending, how are they spending the money. And there were more cash sales and fewer credit card sales. There were smaller sales. It was a steady flow instead of big rush. So very different than years past is what she was saying. And she linked that together with this whole business that's going on with credit card companies, banks and credit card companies, and changing their credit card laws. Well, I know nothing about any of this. I mean, literally, I know nothing about it. I have no idea what's going on, if, if that's true or not. But if it is, so what? They can change credit card laws all day long. I don't care. I don't use them. The credit card use in this country is insane. Here's what you're doing. You're mortgaging your future. What people do in general, not everybody, but what people do in general is they borrow money that they don't have to have something that they don't need. That's what people are doing. And then they end up paying huge interest rates on something they don't need. And they end up usually paying the interest rates even after they don't have it. There was a time when people didn't have more than they needed. We don't understand that. And we don't want to understand that. Being a consumer society is only a symptom of a much deeper, more deadly illness. And it may be terminal. In other words, you get this disease and it may kill you. There's a good chance. There's a good chance you'll die sick. You will never be healed. You will never wake up. It's not the greed and covetousness that consumes us, but it's the draining of force over a lifetime of living identified with false personality. Greed and covetousness are just symptoms. They're symptoms of a deeper problem. We think that greed and covetousness need to be eliminated. And that's not how it works. You can't eliminate the symptoms and get rid of the cause. You have to go after the cause or else the symptoms will continue to resurface. They'll come up in this area or that area. Why is it that man, if you take all of man's guns away, he still finds a way to kill other people? Back when they first figured out that bones and sticks and stones could kill other people, that's what they used. Anything that was handy. Big rock crush somebody's head with it. A big stick, beat them with it. Oh, and then somebody figured out how to put a point on it and stab people. Then somebody figured out how to take a stick and take a piece of animal gut and string it on the stick and take another stick and put it in there and shoot it and kill people far away. Why is it that no matter how many times you take those symptoms away from people, they always pop up somewhere else? Because the cause hasn't been dealt with. And until you deal with the cause, you can remove symptoms all day long. All that does is get the mother of invention out of bed and she gets busy. 
because necessity is the mother of invention. And we need to vent our negative emotions because we don't have them. It's other people who have them. And as long as we don't have them, there's nothing that we can do about them. We'll never deal with our own negative emotions as long as we don't acknowledge them. As long as we say it's other people who have the negative emotions, we'll never deal with our own. So the cause remains and the symptoms will just be varied. They'll just pop up in different ways. You've got to get to the cause. Maurice Nicole said, the person who thinks only of himself is most asleep in the work. All of this that I'm talking about only relates to the work. It only relates to esoteric teachings. It only relates to people who wish to develop. It has nothing whatever to do with the rest of the world. The majority of the world do not wish to awaken, and they can't wish to awaken. It is impossible for them to wish to awaken, and you know why. Because they already think they're awake. They don't want what they already have. They only want what they don't have, which is why credit cards work so well. It's like, well, you have this. Yes, but I don't want that. I want that. You want what you don't have. I knew a guy who bought a new car every year. I thought, wow, that's kind of stupid. And he was really angry. And I think I even said that. That was stupid. I was young. I was probably 25 or 26. And back then I used to say things right to people's face like that. That was stupid. And he got really angry. That's not stupid. You're stupid. Blah, 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 blah. And he carried on. And he liked the new car smell. He put that in a can, you know, okay? Put that in a can to spray it in your car. <laughs> Give yourself a break. I said, but you, you, you drive the car off the lot, you lost so much money, you know? He didn't care. He liked a new car every year. That's what he wanted, and that's what he was going to do. And he could afford it. And if he couldn't afford it, he would just borrow the money. And that was that. So the rest of his life, he would buy a new car every year, and he would just pay for the rest of his life. And he was happy doing that. And most people are happy doing that. When you think about that, it's a person who thinks only of himself. This is what I want. To be awake is to have no false personality. So every time you think you're awake, remind yourself of that. To be awake is to have no false personality. That's what it means to be awake. When you're awake, you have no false personality. It is passive. It is not your false personality. It just is a passive thing. When you're not awake, you're under varying degrees of control of that thing. We've had flashes of no false personality, so we know it's possible. We also know from the flashes that it's hard. It's hard to get those flashes because we're not in control of that. As Jess said in his little thing this morning, he realized that if you don't try, you will get nothing. If you do try, you might get something. He used the example of, well, he didn't use the example of, but I did, the parable of the sower who went out to sow. Some seed fell here, some seed fell there, some seed fell in other places, and some seed fell in good soil where it produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So he got a return on some of the seed that fell in good soil. You don't have any control over where it falls. Your job is to sow it. Your job is to water it. Your job is to plant the seed and to water it. Then it's God's job or the universe's job to give the increase. If there's going to be an increase, in some years there's a great increase, in some years there's a tiny increase, in some years there's no increase at all. And that's the way it is. And we don't like that. So we try and make it different. And what that makes is a big, screaming, false personality. That's what that makes. That's what you're building. You're building a big, screaming, false personality that thinks it can do. And then you got trouble. Maximum trouble. Not just minor troubles. you got real problems. So yes, we know it's possible to have no false personality for brief instance. 
here and there. We also know esoteric truth's dirty little secret is that the flashes don't last. That no matter how many times you have the flashes, you always go back, like a dog returns to its vomit, you always go back to what you were. The hypnotism of life doesn't stop with flashes. It keeps on wearing. It keeps on working. People think, well, this doesn't work. Oh, no, it works. It just doesn't work the way you think it should work. It just doesn't happen all at once. You just don't have this flash of awareness and then stay awake. You go back. And when you do go back, sometimes you go back and you're worse than you were. And sometimes it just looks like you're worse than you were. That's not the point. The point isn't, did you go back after you expanded your awareness? Did your awareness contract again? Yes, of course it did. But did it contract all the way back? No, it contracted further back. Well, it won't stay there. Because any light that you truly gained, you will never lose. It won't stay there. You will, once you begin to let go, you will expand again. As, well, you're holding on, you're contracting. Look at how, what holding on does. Look at your hand. If you hold on to something, you've contracted your muscles. You've contracted your hand around that. When you're holding on, you're contracted. When you begin to let go, you expand again. It's hard to let go because we are a false personality that doesn't believe in letting go. It believes in putting its hand to everything and doing everything, even though it can't do. It doesn't know that. It doesn't believe that. Our society runs on more bang for your buck. There's not a person in this room who doesn't live by the code of cheaper is better. You may not do it in one way, but you do it in another way. Cheaper is better. In other words, if you want $5 for this thing that I want, and I can get it for $4, that's better. That's what you live by. That's the code you live by. More bang for the buck. Not only do you not believe in the great universal law of balance, karma, cause and effect, you believe you can cheat it. You don't believe that there is such a law, and even if there is, you can cheat it. You can somehow figure out a way to get more for less. And your whole life is evidence of that, proof of that. And you will sit there and object in your mind for the rest of this time that we're together, fighting with this idea. Because what you want is more important than this work. Because this work says you can't cheat it. This work says, don't be mistaken, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you will reap. But you don't believe that. And you find all kinds of reasons why what I'm saying is not true. What makes it true is not me saying it. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm just a voice. What makes it true is it is true. And that's why I'm saying it. So it's not a matter of he said it, so it must be true. It's a matter of it's true. And that's why I'm saying it. I don't like it either. There are objections that come up in my false personality as well. But they must be faced and they must be seen for what they are. Your life is about getting something for nothing and then lying about it. You call it a lot of other things. You call it being a good businessman. You call it bargaining. You call it fair trade. And there's nothing fair about it. It's all about you. It's all about you getting whatever you want for as little as you can give for it. And you don't care at all about the other person. And if you do, it's a nod. Well, I gave him more than somebody else would have given him. And you spend your life looking for people to take advantage of. Commercials abound that feed our greed. Buckets of chicken, boxes of food in 99-cent stores, and glut warehouse clubs dominate our lives. You know what a glut warehouse club is? A glut warehouse club is a place where we have glutted the market with garbage. And because we're a consumer society, we don't know what else to do with our greed. We go out, we take our credit cards or whatever, and we go out and we buy what we don't need. And then we have to have a bigger house or the exciting thing that happened back in the 70s and 80s was storage, renting storage places. 
You didn't have enough room to put your junk, so you went out and rented a storage container to put your junk in and then went and visited it every year. And some people didn't even do that. Some people forgot about it and just paid the monthly bill on it. Why are you paying that bill? Well, I don't know. They send it every month, so I pay it. Well, do you know what's in there? I think I've forgotten. It was pretty important stuff. And then you go and then you go and pay and take it all to the dump. Or the more ingenious, you know, the people who are more ingenious, the real business people, have a garage sale or a yard sale. Or the high rollers, they get neighborhood garage sales. They get all their friends to have this big yard sale. And everybody gets their stuff there. And so you take the stuff that you paid $10 for and you sell it for $0.10. That's what a garage sale is. And that doesn't even cover the interest on the credit that you borrowed to buy the junk that you paid every month to store. This is the insanity that we live with, and it's a symptom of a deeper problem that esoteric Christianity handles, that this work deals with, that this work addresses. But we don't want to address it. We resist it. We fight it. Because we imagine we're awake, we imagine we can do, and we imagine we're one. And that's why you're objecting to what I've said. You're not objecting outwardly. You look pretty peaceful outwardly. Some of you look pretty asleep outwardly. But pretty much you look pretty peaceful considering what's going on inside of you, which is negation. Negation. You negate what's being said. Well, that's just not true. I'm not like that. I know people like that. He has some point there. There are some (laughs) people like that. That's true. But I'm not like that. No, you're not like that. We're talking about all those other people who are like that, but not you, because you're in the work, because you're here, because you're smarter, because you know better, because you listen to podcasts, because you found the way, because you're waking up, blah, blah, blah. Do I sound sarcastic? Oops. I guess it is kind of tedious when we allow our false personality to hoodwink us. It's tedious when we think that we're something that we're not. It's tedious when I think I'm something that I'm not, and it drags me down the wrong way. It's tedious when I see people that I care about think they're something that they're not, and it drags them down the wrong way. It's tedious to be able to know the truth, but not really understand it or apply it. It's tedious. So yes, it puts a little edge on me, on this thing that feels angsty about the tediousness of not being able to do, the tediousness of not being able to understand, the tediousness of having it right there and not being able to reach it. It can be tedious. The disease cause is found in our blindness resulting from our imprisonment in the second state of consciousness. You remember that there are four states of consciousness available to man. The first state of consciousness is sleep with dreams on your bed. The second state of consciousness, the dreams are still there. Your bed has been left behind because the moving center is now active. So it's waking sleep. It's a little more conscious, not much more. In fact, it would be fair to say it's about the same except that the moving center is active. The third state of consciousness is self-consciousness, self-awareness, or self-remembering. And the second state of consciousness is where the majority of people on this planet pass the majority of their lives. When I say the majority, I mean 99 plus percent of our lives are spent in waking sleep. This is what I call our imprisonment in the second state of consciousness, spending our lives in waking sleep. We have confused quantity and quality in the same way that we have confused hate and love, in the same way that we have confused darkness and light in the same way that we have confused worthless and valuable. What is valuable? Well, that changes. Why does it change? Because we are not one. 
When you are one, there is something that is valuable. When you have real will, there is something that is valuable. When you have real conscience, you know what is really valuable. There's no change in that. It's always valuable. It always will be valuable. There's never a time when it wasn't valuable. It's just that you didn't know it. That's about value. It's like the pearl of great price. The man found it and went and sold everything he had to buy it. It's like the treasure buried in the field. You find it and you bury it again and then you go and sell everything you have and you buy that field because whatever's in that field is then yours and you give up everything to get it. That is valuable. Some people get sick and their health becomes valuable. That will change. If they get well, their health will not be valuable again. Oh, they'll remember there was a time when their health was more valuable than anything else. And then some people know that that's just another thing along the line, that even if you have perfect health, you are still going to die. You may die perfect, but you're still going to die. Perfect health doesn't cure that. So what's more valuable? Well, something that's going to last after you're dead, something that's going to make sure that you continue after the body is done. And perfect health goes with the body. And the body is going to go. So perfect health or not, it's not going to matter. There are people who go to war and are perfectly healthy, fine specimens of humanity. And in an instant, they're gone. They die perfectly healthy. What good is your perfect health then? For the work to work in us, we must register as valid each flash of the third state of consciousness that we have. And we must declare to ourselves its veracity. This is really what Jess was doing this morning when he was sharing with us what he realized. He wrestled with the angel, as it were. It always wounds us in some way when we wrestle with an angel, like Jacob wrestled with the angel, and the angel touched his hip, and his hip was out of joint, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. This is what happens when we wrestle with the truth. It cripples some part of false personality. It touches some part of false personality, and that part of false personality never works as well as it did. You'll be hoodwinked again, but never over that, never in the same way. And one day, you will be free from being deceived at all. Of course, that day is a long way off because you'd have to stop deceiving in order to be free from being deceived. And that's not going to happen anytime soon because we have confused darkness for light. We think that if we can think of a way to deceive somebody, we have more light. When just the opposite is the truth, we have confused darkness and light. If we understood the difference between darkness and light, we would never lie. We would never pretend. It would be impossible. But we don't understand. We're confused about that. And that comes from our state of sleep, where things aren't real in this dream world. We can't tell what's real from what's not real. You must stand for the work through practical application, or it turns into a jellyfish of soupy intellectual concepts with many cooks and no eaters. You've heard too many cooks spoil the soup? Well, nobody eats spoiled soup. And one thing that this work and all religions and all esoteric teachings have in common is you'll find a lot of cooks. Everybody thinks they know how to cook. And they'll put up their sign and open a restaurant and invite people in, come and eat what I've cooked. This is the best stuff. And that's what happens if you just leave this at the intellectual level. You've got to make it a practical application to your life, to you yourself. Each idea has to be applied to you. But you can't apply the ideas when you're objecting to them. Something has to have more authority than you. 
This is our problem. You are the highest authority. And because you're the highest authority, you're stuck. You have to make this work. You have to make the esoteric truth. You have to make something higher than you. Until you can do that, you're stuck. We've been given a taste of freedom from the second state of consciousness. You've had flashes of the third state of consciousness. You have even had flashes of the fourth state of consciousness. They didn't last long, but you've had flashes in your life, maybe one or two, maybe more, I don't know. It's not about how many. It's about, did you ever taste it? Ever have any kind of an idea of what objective consciousness is like? What do you think you do? It's a gift given to many and valued by few. Many are called, but few are chosen. It might be many are called and few choose. Only when we make the work real to ourselves can it transmit force to us. Here's one of the ways you can tell that work is transmitting force to you. It calms us and it widens us. You get a little calmer. You're not as frenetic. You're not as angry. You're not as nervous. You're not as crazy. It doesn't mean it goes away. It just means you're not as. And it also widens you. Your point of view, your perspective broadens a little bit. Just a little. And now these people are okay. Now those people are okay. Now well, that's not so bad. It calms you and it widens you. And look and see if you've got any of that influence in your life. If the work has been transmitting force into your life. If it has, great. If it hasn't, it's not the work's fault. It's because you are not applying it. It's practical application. You must apply it to yourself. Who do we apply it to, first of all? Well, the people that we love. First of all, we apply it to the people we love, the people who really need it, the people who are really going to benefit from knowing this great truth that we've just discovered. I listened to this podcast, so I gave it to my daughter or my son so they could listen to it, to or my husband or my wife, so they could listen to it and because they, they really need it. <laughs> yeah, and they do. We all do. But we need to apply it to ourselves first. It's like Curtis' example. Every time he flies, and for a while he was flying quite a bit, he said he loved the part where the stewardess stands up and she gives the whole speech in the middle of the aisle. And she gets to the part that if something happens and the oxygen masks come down from above, take your oxygen mask and put it on yourself first before you try and put it on the child or, or sick person or whoever next to you. And he said, and that reminds him of the work. You must apply it to yourself first before you try to apply it to someone else. And that means that the work has calmed him and widened him. If he can see that in a simple thing like a stewardess standing up, and nobody, who thinks of that? People don't think, oh, that reminds me of the work. But it reminded Curtis of the work, and that's a good thing. It means that it's calmed him and it's widened him. It means that he has applied something, and it means that it's transmitted force to him. People who argue about the words that the work uses or split hairs over the ideas, will never receive force from that work because they're not connected to it. If you're piddling in the kitchen, chopping vegetables, or sharpening your knife, or cleaning the cutting board, or whatever, that doesn't mean you're cooking. If you're teaching someone else how to sharpen a knife and clean the cutting board, and that doesn't mean you're cooking. That doesn't mean you're applying it. That doesn't mean you're connected to it and force is being transmitted to you from it. This work works. We don't work. This is the main problem with us. We're looking for something that works, and we have to be the something that works. We have to get to work. We have to start practically applying anything. I don't care what it is. Take anything. Take exoteric Christianity and apply some principle there, and it will work. You have to do it. You have to do something. It's up to you. 
Instead, people have little groups where they get together and split hairs and talk about what this means and what that means. And they argue this and argue that. We do that too. And if it doesn't lead to, now do something about this in yourself. Take this principle. Now that you've looked at it, now that you've turned it around, now that you've examined it, now take it and apply it to yourself. Apply it to your life. A practical application to your life. That's what this leads to when we talk about this or we talk about that. But to continually argue about the words the work uses, to continually split hairs over the ideas, you can't connect to it. It can't transmit force to you. Gurdjieff said, do not listen to the words. Try to hear internally the meaning. I read that and I thought, wow, I said that. Don't pay any attention to the words. You've got to get beyond the words. You've got to get emotional with this. You have to get what is being transmitted emotionally. You can't pay attention to the words. If you let it all go into your intellectual center, you will end up splitting hairs and arguing over the words. You will not connect. It's got to be an emotional connection, evaluation. Internal considering is thinking of yourself all the time. So if you wonder if you internally consider, you can put your wondering to rest. (laughs) Right now. Because If you think of yourself, you internally consider. Well, what does it mean to be self-conscious then? It doesn't mean that. Thinking of yourself all the time is the hallmark of false personality, which is obsessed by how it's treated, what it's got, what it deserves, what it gets, what it wants, what it needs, what its goals are, what its plans are. It's obsessed with itself. When identified with false personality, we're most asleep, And all of our emotions turn into it. They turn into false personality. All of our emotions go right to false personality. What we call those is self-emotions. All of our emotions are self-emotions. Self-love, self-aggrandizement, self-hate. Self-love and self-hate are the same thing. People who loathe themselves and love themselves, it's all about them. It's all the same thing. There's absolutely no difference from a work point of view. The only difference is in a worldly point of view. Well, that's just the opposite. I'm not in love with myself. I hate myself. But from a work point of view, you can see the two are one. There is no difference whatsoever because the result is the same. You get to be imprisoned in false personality. You get to be locked up in the second state of consciousness where you can't get out. False personality hates the work because it knows that the work will eventually destroy it. Thinking of the work, just thinking of the work, is stepping away from false personality. Unfortunately, it's not stepping far enough away because you're still within its reach. You've got to start applying it, not just thinking about it, but you've got to start applying it. But thinking about it is a good step. False personality is like a fish in water. We'll call water the second state of consciousness. The work breathes the air of the third state of consciousness, but you take that false personality out of the second state of consciousness and it suffocates, just like a fish suffocates if you take it out of water and put it on the dock. In the air that you breathe, the fish dies. False personality is the same way. Outside of the second state of consciousness, it suffocates. It cannot exist. Every single act of self-remembering weakens false personality. You're still here because you have, through tiny incremental acts of self-remembering over a number of years, weakened false personality to the point where you're allowed to sit here. 
Other people, it was like they pulled a lever and it was like the lever on a catapult and it shot them out of here far, far away. Some of them hit a wall and it killed them. Some of them landed in a tree and they could never get out. Some of them landed in a hole and they could never climb out of it. But if you think about it, the fact that you're still sitting here, that in and of itself proves that false personality has been weakened to the point that it allows you to stay when it has walked so many people away. They didn't walk away. Their false personality walked them away. You never walk away from the truth. False personality walks you away from the truth. False personality is one comes up with all the reasons, too. Well, he's mean. Well, he's sarcastic. Well, he isn't perfect. Well, he doesn't do it himself. Well, he, well, she, well, blah, blah, blah. Well, those people, and they're all, and they're negative all the time, and they're this, and they're that. Uh-huh. That's all false personality. That's all the second state of consciousness. Where's the truth in that? Well, it's all the truth. No, none of it's the truth. None of it is the truth, the esoteric truth. It's all the apparent truth. And there's a big difference between the truth and the apparent truth. At our level, we can't change. We're life-powered. We're driven by flattery. We're driven by agreement. We're driven by approval. We're driven by self-love and pictures that we've developed in the dark room of unconsciousness. That's what we spend our time doing. In our unconsciousness, we spend our time in the dark room developing lovely pictures of ourselves. And then we look for other people to tell us how lovely our pictures are, to agree with us, to approve of us, to flatter us. We're driven, life-driven. We're believers in the religion of false personality, and it's obvious from the distinctions we make between people. We consider some people to be greater than others based on what we like and what we dislike. I had a guy come up to me, the kid, I was getting gas the other day. I hardly ever do this. I hardly ever put gas in my car because I hardly ever drive my car. But uh, every once in a while, every month or so, I have to put gas in the car. And so I was at the gas station. I was pumping gas into the car. And this kid on a skateboard with long hair down past his shoulders comes up to me. and He says, uh, excuse me, uh, how did you become successful in life? <laughs> and I just looked at him. And, you know, of course, what ran through my mind, you know, the mind that I am contending with, you know, the mind that is constantly wrestling, trying to control me, trying to overcome me, it calls itself I. That mind is very clever, very sharp. People appreciate it. You know, people, oh, wow, that's a good mind. You're really intelligent. Well, he's so smart. No, there's nothing smart about it. It's just a machine. And that's why when people say, I say, look, there are a lot of people smarter than me. Almost everybody is smarter than I am. And that's the truth, because this mind is worthless. Truly, it's worthless. And when it's running on its own, it's worthless. When it is serving the truth, is the only time that it has any value. The rest of the time, it can't be listened to. If I listen to it, it gets me in trouble. So I've learned not to listen to it. So this kid, so naturally it says the mind, in, in there the mind says, well, I didn't have a skateboard and long hair and... <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I didn't say that. I just smiled at the kid and I said, it's complicated. And the reason I said that is because he didn't want to know. He didn't want to know. How could he possibly want to know? He doesn't know what success is. He thinks success is the car you're driving. It certainly couldn't have been the way I was dressed. I was wearing sweatpants and you know, I, was, I was dressed like I usually dress, you know, like a bum, comfortably. And not dressed for success. Just dressed comfortably, but the car. He saw the car and he, wow, that's a car that I would like to have. How did you get that car? That's what he was really asking. 
How did you become a success in life? You're not a success in life because you drive this car or that car. You're not a success in life because you have this bank account or that bank. You're not a success in life because you own this property or that house or because you have an airplane or because you own two homes or nine homes or a, a, a billion dollars worth of real estate or because you have a gazillion dollars in the bank. You're not a success because of that. The only way that you're a success in life is if you're awake. And if you're awake, you realize that all that stuff doesn't matter. But the fact that you think it matters is proof that you're not awake, proof that you're driven by life, that you're run by the false personality. The kid really cracked me up. And he went away. I said, well, it's complicated. He said, well, thank you. And he walked away. Well, you know, I wanted to know how to be successful a little more than that. (laughs) I don't think I, first of all, I don't think I would only ask one time and then quit. If you're going to come to this work and only try one time and then quit, you're not going to connect with it and it's not going to transmit force to you. I guarantee it. It's not going to happen. You've got to work long, hard work. But I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Then you're not fit for this. It's just not for you. Go do something that you like then. Go, you know, ride around on your skateboard. Go ask people how to become a success in life because they have a car you don't have. That's what I mean. We consider some people greater than others based on what we like and what we don't like. This work is about what you are behind the facade of what you have. And the facade of what you have is false personality. It's all connected to false personality. It's not connected to you. It's connected to false personality. What you have, your bank account, your car, your property, your clothes, your husband, your wife, your kids, your prestige, your reputation, your business, it's all connected to your false personality. The stronger those things are, the stronger your false personality is, the more you're invested in it. At a much deeper level, this work is about what is not apparent to the five senses. When a kid comes up and asks me, how did I become a success in life? And he's looking through the five senses. I have no answer for him. He's not asking the right question. That's the wrong question. How did you become a success in life is not the right question. People go to India to find some old man sitting in a cave who owns nothing and ask him, how did you become a success in life? And he'll tell you, I denied the body. I denied what I wanted and I meditated. And then I meditated some more, and then I meditated some more, and then I meditated some more. And they aren't going to do that. They just made the trip as part of their false personality. They aren't going to do that. In our condition, in the second state of consciousness, lies pass as truths all the time. Lies are impossible in the third state because self-conscious means not deceiving. If you are self-conscious, there's nothing to deceive yourself about. It's all right there, and it's all matter-of-fact. Well, there it is. It's called self-conscious. You turn the light on, and there it is. It shows whatever it shows, and that's what's there. At higher levels of consciousness, we're conscious of more. We're more awake. We're not so easily deceived because we have more light, and we perceive more emotionally and mentally. Right now, what we perceive mentally cannot be trusted. In higher states of consciousness, what we perceive mentally can be verified emotionally, and what we perceive emotionally can be verified mentally. We were born with the right to live in the third state of consciousness, in self-remembering, in self-consciousness. But the fact is that we're trapped in the second state of consciousness. So when you talk about your rights, if you're not talking about the right to live in the third state of consciousness, you're talking about something else. You're talking about something that has nothing to do with this work. You're talking about something that has nothing to do with real life. You're talking about the same thing the kid talked about who came up to me in the gas station and said, how did you become a success in life?
interestingly enough, what also went through my head was, I didn't. And so the answer, it's complicated. I may appear to be a success to you, but I'm not. And that is my success. The fact that I realize that. The fact that I know that none of this makes me anything. The fact that I can realize my nothingness in spite of other people looking at me and saying, oh, he's got something. No, I don't. I don't have anything. There's absolutely nothing that I possess that is of any value at all. What about the truth? I had a guy write to me and said, well, you have valuable teachings and you have valuable understanding and valuable wisdom and the world needs that. No, I don't. And no, they don't. Not only do they not need it, they don't want it. You couldn't give it away. We give away these podcasts and have for over three years. You can't give it away. The truth is of no value. Pearls are not important to swine. They tread them underfoot. Then they turn and gut you. Not a good idea to cast your pearls before swine. Unless you don't care. Or unless you're not casting your pearls before swine. That doesn't mean swine will not find them and tread them. It doesn't mean don't cast pearls at all. It doesn't mean don't sow seeds at all. It doesn't mean don't tell the truth at all. It just means when you know somebody can't receive it, don't give it to them. Don't cast pearls before swine. They don't value them. It doesn't mean don't tell the truth. There is a fourth state of consciousness, objective consciousness, as I've said. And only in the two higher states of consciousness can we connect with the two higher centers. Those two higher centers are the authors of real emotions. We don't know what real emotions are now. All the emotions that we have can change. When you have real emotions, they can't change. There's no opposite. Though we may have flashes of these states, we can't understand them from the point of view of our habitual states. What are our habitual states? One and two, the first and second state of consciousness. Sleep with dreams on the bed and sleep with the moving center active, walking around, driving, building houses, buying cars, running up credit card debt, valuing the things that are not valuable, and totally missing any quality for quantity. The commercial that cracked me up was this. These guys were selling some Del Taco box of food for $5. And this is all you get. You get this huge box of food, and it only costs $5. Well, it's got to be good. And then there was another one in this Burger King commercial, and they had like this big, huge hamburger, and it's like three, four dollars, three, three ninety nine. All this for three ninety nine. I almost choked. First of all, I don't eat hamburgers. Secondly, hamburgers should cost twenty five cents. They should come from Steer In or McDonald's or someplace like that for twenty five cents. What? What happened? Since when do they cost four dollars? I mean, I, I was, I thought that's crazy. So it's been a while since I've had a hamburger, obviously. But I thought that's insane. It's all about fill up for 99 cents. You, you won't be able to eat another bite for 99 cents. Boy, I'll bet that stuff is really good. What is it, like 99% sawdust? What? I really want to eat that, you know. <laughs> I just can't wait to get out there and eat that. But there are people who are flocking to those places because they wouldn't be spending millions of dollars on commercials if people weren't paying for it. So that tells me that in our in the states of consciousness that we're stuck in, the first and second states of consciousness, we don't have any idea of quality. The only thing we understand is quantity. More is better. It feeds our greed. It feeds our consumer society. It makes us buy more, spend more, use more. Why? Is it more valuable? Is it worth more? No. Just because we're asleep? Because we don't know what's going on, for real. So, yeah, we have flashes of these states, but we can't understand them from the point of view of our habitual states, the first and second. We look at all this, we hear all this, but we don't understand, yes, but what is beyond this? 
What is the quality? What is real conscience? What is real I? What is the ability to do? What is all that? What is real love? What is a real emotion? From our point of view, from where we are, we don't know. We don't understand that. And when you pretend that you do, you're making it worse. The most difficult hurdle is accepting that we pass our lives in these low states. This is the hardest thing for us to accept. You, I, we, pass our lives in these two states of consciousness. You sleep a third of your life away. Some people up to half. That's on the bed with dreams. That's not walking around, sleeping at work, sleeping in the car, sleeping watching TV, sleeping at the movie, sleeping at the baseball game, sleep, sleeping watching the Super Bowl, sleeping wherever you're sleeping, shopping, whatever you're doing. You're sleeping. When you're doing it, all of this is done in our sleep. How do we know that? Look at the world. People who are awake don't do what this world is doing. People who are asleep do. I read something today. Our daughter is being sent to Iraq. Is it Iraq or Afghanistan? One of those places where we're killing people and bombing people and bringing them other kinds of peace and democracy. That is if they live long enough to have it, to enjoy it. If they don't, that's the price that has to be paid for peace and democracy. Do I sound sarcastic again? <laughs> it's because it's insane. It's why. It's insane. And so we're out there in our insanity doing this. And what I'm talking about, we can't even understand because it's beyond our understanding with the point of view that we have. We don't possess the third state, nor can we create it in ourselves by desire or decision alone. You're not going to get the third state of consciousness just because you want it. You're not going to get the third state of consciousness just because you have decided, I will be awake. I don't care what you've decided, and I don't care what you want. That will not get you into the third state of consciousness. The fourth state, the objective state of consciousness, it's called enlightenment by some people, satori, all kinds of different names for it, but it's all the same thing. It can't be contained by words, and it can only be reached properly through the third state of consciousness. There's some people who get there not through the third state of consciousness. They get there through the second state of consciousness and drugs, and it doesn't last. They end up back in the second state of consciousness. Why is that? Because they did not get their property. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter this sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting into the fourth state of consciousness by some other gate than the third state of consciousness. It doesn't work. You're a thief and a robber, and you'll end up back in jail. What's jail? Prison? The first and second states of consciousness. In the third state, we can have flashes of objective consciousness and remember them, but we can only enter it through inner development, through work on ourselves. What currently bars the door to the third state of consciousness is our firm conviction that we already possess it, that we already can do, that we already have will, and that we are already one and that we already have an unchanging eye. Clearly, people are not going to do the long, hard work needed to reach what they consider they already have. It's just not going to happen. Only seeing the truth of yourself, for yourself, will dispel this illusion that you already are one, that you already can do, that you're already awake. Only seeing for yourself just how 
absolutely mechanical and asleep you actually are. That's the only thing. That's the silver bullet that will take down that illusion. A constant diet of that truth about yourself will eventually dispel the illusion that you are something that you're not. Get busy. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.